Well, good morning, church. Today's Bible reading, if you'd like to follow along with us, or you could just listen, is we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 7 through 16. Again, that's Philippians 3, verses 7 through 16. This is Paul speaking. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And I'll briefly read out of Hebrews 12. You don't have to turn there, but it's scripture affirming scripture. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 say therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. We come before you giving thanks this morning for your word that was read to us. We're so thankful to know that it is by the word of God that we come into the truth and that we're able to live lives that are not only worthy of the calling that you've given us, but God, we're capable, we're able to witness to others. We're able to point them to the same Jesus that saved us from our sins. And today, Lord, I pray that we would see that pursuit of you for what it really is. It's vital in the life of a believer. And it brings joy. It brings great joy. And today, may each person here who knows you feel and sense with urgency in their heart a desire to grow, to pursue, to live out this life that you have given us May they experience your joy, your joy that fills life fully. And Lord, those that are unsaved, may they just hear the gospel. And may the gospel transform them from darkness into light, just as so many of us have experienced the same. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to get into the text. Before we do, I was just walking and talking to people in the body this morning and, and talk to several people who are facing significant uh, issues, physical issues. And uh, I think about Muffy Amico, who's not here today. Uh, Muffy's with her two daughters over in Europe, and they're, they're having a wonderful time together, except she came down very sick, bronchitis, I believe, and can't find a clinic anywhere. So they're supposed to leave in a couple days, but please keep Muffy in prayer 
and that, that, that she would be able to get treatment for her uh, physical issues and be able to travel home. Uh, I, I, there's others, someone who said to me today that the cancer has returned and we need to leave, keep them in prayer. Uh, others who are struggling with maybe family matters and issues that are going on. You know, every one of us has a story, don't we? And how important it is that we not just come into church for the sake of finding a chair, hearing a sermon, and going home. But really, church is about fellowship. It's about the body caring for the body, practicing the one another's of Scripture. And you have a story that's important to be shared, and others have a story for you to hear. And that's how we really begin to grow and connect deeper, right? And so I pray that you will. I pray that you'll take time to to just shake hands and meet someone that you don't know that's in this room. This is the body of Christ. Those who are saved are part of his church family. And we need to get to know each other. Amen? Two things that I want to share with you I'm excited about. One is the elders are right now uh, in prayerful discussion and really deliberation, uh, doing our homework, because we really believe it is time for our church to begin to experience small groups and to build small groups for people who can connect at a deeper level on a regular basis. And so we'll be hearing more about that in the days to come. Uh, be praying for the elders and for those who are in leadership of small group ministry, that God would raise up small group leaders and then also host those who would host a small group in their home. And maybe that's something for you to pray about. You do know that when you pray... Prayer's more about you changing than getting God to change something. Because God's not going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His plan stands in heaven. If you're really lined up with God in his prayer, you'd start changing. Because that's his prayer for you, that you would change. And you would join him in his work. So please pray for that, if you will, please. The other thing I'll just briefly mention is, you know, from day one here at Vero Bible Fellowship, we have been in pursuit, looking always with our eyes up for a permanent home. Uh, we have been blessed from October five years ago, this coming October, with this facility. And as Debbie called it, the chapelteria, you know, that's how we see it. And it's been a wonderful home. And we're, we can stay as long until the Lord comes back, really. Uh, but I think we desire to have a home. And I would ask you to be praying, church. Uh, it, it, we've, we've said from day one, we only want to join God in his work. Does that not sound right according to the word of God? We're not trying to create something. We're not trying to come up with some big vision and follow what, get God to bless what we're doing. We want to follow God and do what he's doing, follow him. So right now we are in talks with someone and it looks as if God might be opening a door, but uh, there's a ways to go yet. And so I'm just inviting you in as the congregation to join us in prayer that God would either open the door wide or he would slam it shut. That we would know if it is to be, it is God that has done this. And so I can't share any information with you. Please don't approach any of the staff or the elders or the future facility team or the finance team. Their lips are sealed uh, because it, there's nothing really to share we don't have any kind of a contract. Uh, and, and once we get to that point, you will be informed. In fact, our bylaws say that when we get to a point where the leadership team feels that God is in something, then they are to bring it before the body for a vote. You will have a part to play in this. And so just right now, pray. Pray. Wouldn't that be something to have a church home? Amen. So we'll just let the Lord lead us in that. All right. Well, here we are in our text, and Scott did a wonderful job reading for us. Verse 12 through 16 is our text, but it's built upon something in front of it. And I want to just read for you just a few verses, verses 2 through 6. I want to read 2 through 6, which really sets up why... Paul says what he says in verses 12 through 16. So in verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. And he's not meaning the animal, okay? Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These are Jews 
who are calling Jewish believers back in, and Gentiles, he's calling Gentiles into circumcision of the flesh. They're saying that getting saved by the righteousness of Christ and by the work of Christ on the cross is not enough. You need to be circumcised. And so Paul is addressing this matter because this is the teaching, this false teaching that has come up in the church at Philippi. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Okay, so he just said, he said, don't follow those who mutilate the flesh, which is physical circumcision. But then he says, but we are, speaking of the believers, we are the circumcision. We have been circumcised spiritually. Christ is in us, okay? We don't need to do an outward fleshly work in order to be saved. God lives in us through Jesus Christ, through his work in our behalf. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. I mean, if we're going to talk confidence in the flesh, Paul says, nobody's got more confidence than I should have. And he goes on, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here he tells you why. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Those are the people of God. No other nation can claim that. This was the people of God at that time. Of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul said, hey, I reached the pinnacle of fleshly righteousness. I reached the pinnacle of works righteousness. I mean, my Jewish name is Saul. I was named after King Saul, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, just like me. So he's laying it out there pretty thick and saying, I don't know what you think you've done that would put you in a position for God to just receive you and save you, but I've done more. And I'm here to tell you that with all that I've done, it amounts to nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus who went to the cross, bore my sins, paid the full price, and God the Father poured out on him every ounce of anger, justice, and wrath. And Christ died for me. That is the work that I hold on to by faith, not the work of my hands, not the work of my life. This is a wonderful passage, and where we're going today is we're talking about sanctification. Salvation is the first part of the deal, okay? God calls you unto salvation. He brings you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're saved. But now that you're saved, sanctification begins. And it's the process whereby God, by the Holy Spirit, is conforming you every day after your salvation. Every day, Christian, he is desiring to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Every day. And some of you are listening, and I remember when I was a kid and I got saved, and I was actually older, and I, and, and I remember thinking, now that I'm saved, man, I know I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. Heaven's never the most important point about the gospel. Just know that. The gospel is not about heaven. The gospel is about your sins on this earth being completely forgiven by the work of Christ and you in turn getting the righteousness of Christ all over you. It's in you. It's a new life. Heaven's just out there in the future. Sanctification is pursuing that new life in Christ that you have now. And I remember as a kid going, okay, I'm saved, but man, I don't know about this life that I, they want me to live now. I didn't, I didn't know I signed up for all of that, where I've got to obey God in everything, and I've got to stop doing the things I like to do because they're not good things. And you're thinking through all of that. You're going, man, that, I guess for the rest of my life, now that I'm saved, I'm, I'm going to live a boring life. There's nothing to live for anymore. I'm here to tell you that's not the life of sanctification. And we're going to show you by the word of God that to live a life of sanctification where you're desiring every day for God to do something new in you and he has things to do in you to continue to conform you to Jesus, it, it's not boring. 
In fact, it's pretty exciting. In fact, when you can understand sanctification, as I explain it to you by the word, hey, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a joy-filled life. You get a little bit of heaven right here on earth. I don't have to think about heaven. I can have a little heaven right now. When I live out, flesh out the sanctification. So let's look at this if we can. Paul is making the point that those who are truly saved, you should put no confidence in your works for salvation. A works, I want to start with salvation here and we'll work into sanctification. Here's why. I, I truly believe that every time we gather, the gospel needs to be preached. I never want to assume that everybody in this crowd is saved. Everybody here matters. And, and so listen to what I'm saying here this morning to you. If you're a good person, that is a work righteousness right there. That's your work, that you're good, okay? But your good moral behavior, your good moral standing before men is a death trap in the court of a holy God. It will not stand up. Your moral goodness will not stand up before God. You ha- you would have, you'd have to be morally perfect from womb to tomb in order to stand before God justified. And there ain't nobody in this room that has gone without sin. Am I right? Every one of us are sinners. Psalm 51.5, listen to what David said. I think David was a pretty good dude in the sense that he had a heart after God. That's what the Bible says about him. But listen to this. David said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about his mother committed sins when she gave birth to him. He's saying, I was born into sin. Why? Because he was born from the seed of Adam, from every other human being. Every human being has sin. If you place your hope in your good moral standing, listen, it won't reap you any more than a murderer because a murderer has sinned. You have sinned. And if you don't acknowledge that sin, then you will spend time in hell with a murderer. But you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. How many? It doesn't seem to leave anybody out. I know some of you think you're pretty good people. In fact, you kind of pride yourself in your good works. You pride yourself in your good moral standing before men. I'm telling you that it means nothing in the court of Almighty God. It will not save you. Because Adam sinned, you have sinned. Look at verse 24 in Romans. And are justified by his grace as a gift. We've all sinned, fallen short to the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. That's a mouthful. When you look at Romans 3, 23 through 25, I want to break it down for you so you understand it. People who are given to God, who have now been changed by God and are bent towards pursuing God, you'll want to know this. This is good stuff. To be justified. It says justified by his grace, uh, by his grace as a gift. To be justified by grace means that God has literally declared you righteous. Legally. God says, you are righteous. Now, how is that? Because I'm a sinner. By his own doing, not by your doing. What was his own doing? He sent his son, who is God, to die in your place. You have been pardoned from the guilt and penalty of sin hanging over your head. Justification also means that you have been legally declared righteous. You've been declared righteous by the work of Christ. God has imputed to you the righteousness of his own son who never sinned even though he faced the same temptation that you and I face every day. To be justified means that God has imputed to you, the believer, 
He's given you the righteousness of Jesus. You did nothing for it. First, he has removed your sin. Secondly, he has given you his righteousness. That's an awesome God. Everybody in this room ought to give a shout to God for what he's done for you if you're saved. I'm not a Pentecostal preacher, but sometimes I can't help myself. I get excited when I think about the work of Christ in my life. And I don't apologize for it. God imputed our sin to Christ to count in sacrificial death. Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price. He suffered. He was sacrificed on the cross. And the Jews didn't put him on the cross. And the Romans didn't put him on the cross. And Judas didn't put him on the cross. God the Father put him on the cross. To satisfy God the Father's wrath against sinners, he poured out his judgment on Jesus in my behalf, in your behalf. Wow. Not only has God imputed our sin to Christ on the cross with his sacrificial death, God also imputes Christ's perfect obedience to the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He's, he's the continuance of the law himself. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Peter 2, 4. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. When you hear people make the quote, by Jesus' wounds we've been healed, they use that when they're praying for somebody who's physically sick. That's a misunderstanding of the text. You're using it improperly. He was not talking about physical healing. The whole text, context around it is sin. You've been healed of sin. By the, word, by the way, the word heal in the Old Testament means the same as the word deliver. You've been delivered from sin through the work of Jesus. Woo! That's some good stuff, man. That just excites me. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Justification is a gracious gift God extends to every repentant sinner, every believing sinner. You have to have faith to believe in the justification that God provides you. And it's wholly apart from my good works. That justification is by faith in Christ, in his good works. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Okay, verse, the latter part of the verse, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does redemption mean? It's the idea of an ancient slave, maybe, or an ancient uh, uh, slave market where you're brought, maybe you're a criminal and you're on that market and you're standing there and Jesus comes and he ransoms you. He pays the price for you. That's what Jesus did for every believer. He ransomed you. The only adequate payment to redeem sinners from sin, slavery, and its deserved punishment was in Christ Jesus. Because I am in Christ Jesus, I know I've been ransomed. Amen. Okay? He paid the price. He satisfied the justice of God the Father for my sake, for your sake. So God put forward publicly a display of Jesus on the cross for that purpose. In fact, look at the next part of the verse there, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be put forward is to go public. God made Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross a public display, okay? As what? A propitiation by his blood. I'm gonna tell you something. I know preachers who will not preach this verse because propitiation is a big word. Oh, our church, people don't really, that, that's just an old antiquated word. We don't use that word today. Are you kidding me? There is no other word to take the place of propitiation. Let me explain what I'm talking about here. Propitiation carries the idea of appeasement of satisfaction. In this case, Jesus' violent death satisfied the offended holiness and wrath of God against those for whom Christ died. Jesus became the appeasement for me. 
That's what propitiation is all about. You want to be glad that you have been washed clean. Christ propitiated for you your sins. Isaiah 53, 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That was a, 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 a prophecy about Messiah going to the cross and dying. Only Christ could satisfy the wrath of God against all sinners. So Paul is completely surrendered to Christ only resting in the salvation that only Christ can offer as a free gift. And with that as a settled issue, now Paul goes full bore, relentless in his own pursuit to know Jesus Christ, his Lord. I want you to see this. Paul said this. He said, I want to know Christ. I want to share in his suffering. I want to become like him in his death. I want to do all these things so that I might attain from him a glorious crown in heaven. So why would you, why would you pursue sanctification on earth? Because you know that as you pursue, you are growing in your faith. You are coming alive, more mature in your spiritual walk. You are experiencing a joy that this world cannot give you. That joy is not in any social media. It's not in any entertainment form. But the joy that God gives doesn't start outside of you by things going on. It starts inside of you as the word of God comes alive. So sanctification is the process of pursuing Christ each and every day. And, and it's the most incredible thing you can ever do. In fact, I'll say it this way for you. Listen, pursuing a life of sanctification is not saying no to everything. It's saying yes to what really counts. You don't have to say no. Just know what really counts and say yes to that. Amen? That's the Christian life. You need to think of sanctification as experiencing a little bit of heaven right here on this earth. So sanctification is all about three things. Write these down. Three things. First, the Word. Secondly, the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, you. The Word, Holy Spirit, and you. Let's start with the Word. To conform to Christ, you have to know Christ. And to know Christ, you have to know His Word. Don't let anybody fool you in thinking they, they have the real picture of Jesus. I, I, I've, I've met people, I did this one time, I, somebody was talking with me and they were all about the, the woke cultural thing, you know. And they were saying, well, my Jesus would never. My, my Jesus, and I was not being belligerent. I was being loving. I never raised my voice. I just, and I said to them, I said, um, I've never seen your form of Jesus in the Bible. I, I've never seen that. In fact, the best I know, there is only one Jesus. And it's not described by my experience. It's not described by my background, my past. It's not described by what other groups are saying. If you want to get the accurate Jesus, right here it is. He gives self-disclosure. He tells you who he is. And let me just tell you something. The Bible's not an antiquated book, okay? The Bible has worked in every single generation from the beginning. And it'll be here long after you and I are gone. Well, my opinion is... Um, your opinion doesn't amount to a hill of beans compared to the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. Let me tell you what that means in simple terms. It means that you might have a strong opinion. Well, I think this is what I've always believed, and this is the way I was raised to believe. <laughs> um, bottom line, that opinion that you've developed out of your own experience, listen now. When you're gone, it will go with you. And guess what will still be standing? The Word of God. The Bible, hey, listen, the Bible's the only book that buries its pallbearers. I'm telling you, you cannot, you cannot outdo the Word of God. And it works for every nation. It works for every color. It works for every 
socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, if you're fat or you're skinny. I'm telling you right now, this Bible will work. Get in it. Study it. Know it. The more you know this, the more you know Jesus. And the more you know Jesus, the more you discern between what is of God happening in this world and what is not. The reason so many Christians are being led astray is because they're Bible illiterate. Churches are not preaching the Bible. They've moved away from propitiation. They've moved away from repentance. They're not giving the whole counsel of God to people. Therefore, people are starving for truth. And they're left to come up with their own opinions about things. They, they look to certain spiritual leaders that, quite honestly, many of them false leaders because they're not basing what they're saying out of the Word of God. Or they're taking half-truths. They're taking half of the truth, and they're, they're ignoring the other truth. We've got to teach the whole counsel of God, and you've got to study it that way. This is what the Bible's about. 2 Timothy 2.15. Write, write it down, please. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved you want to be approved when you stand before God. How is that? A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. you got to be in the Bible to understand the Bible, to rightly handle the Bible. How about, second? write this down, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul said, all Scripture, by the way, do not be one of these Christians that only lives in the New Testament and never reads the Old Testament. There's a reason why at Vero Bible Fellowship, we do Sunday morning teaching, and often, most of the, most, not all the time, most of the time we're in the New Testament. But every Wednesday night, we're in the Old Testament. We just finished, get this, The Kings, a series called The Kings. Get this, we studied 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. It took us two and a half years because we break down the Bible. We don't skip over the tough parts. You need the whole counsel of God. You need both. Jesus, by the way, quoted the Old Testament all the time, which means what? He, he brought credibility to the Old Testament. Jesus believed that the Old Testament was inspired. Why don't you? You need the whole Bible, okay? Then number two, not only, not only is sanctification about the Word, Sanctification is about the Holy Spirit. One of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to teach you all truth. Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to John chapter 14. You will want to underline or highlight or at least do something that will mark these passages for you because these are ones you want to meditate on and live out every day that you live, knowing who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit today has been so abused what people say in the name of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have anything to do with. He has, that's, that's why Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, on judgment day, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many miracles? And he said, I will say to them, I never knew you. Sometimes we create in our own minds what we think the Holy Spirit ought to be about. Again, just like we get the right Jesus from the Word, you get the right Holy Spirit from the Word of God. So I want you to look with me at John 14. He says in verse 15, if you love me, this is Jesus now talking, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that if you love me, you'll be perfect in keeping my commandments. Because even after you're saved, you still are clothed in flesh and blood, and you have a propensity to be tempted by the enemy, tempted by your flesh, by the world, and there are moments where you give in to it. I mean, let me just ask a, 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 just an honest question, honest answer, okay? How many of you, even this morning, got a little bit impatient or, or maybe got a little angry or upset going down the road and somebody in front of you, you know, doing their thing? And it happens all the time. Okay, that's not being obedient to the word. It just happens. But that's not who you are. <clears throat> so 
So when he says, you keep my commandment, what he's saying is, your heart is bent towards keeping my commandment. You will fall short of that, but man, you're going to keep pursuing the commandment. Amen? Make sense? Verse 16, and I will ask the Father. This is Jesus now. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Right there in one verse, you have the Trinity. Jesus, the Son, says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, the Holy Spirit. Right there, all three are mentioned. And the Holy Spirit, the helper, will be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, he's speaking to his disciples here, for he dwells with you, para, that's a uh, preposition, para, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I'm with you right now. I'm not in you, but I am standing next to you talking to you. So he dwells with you and will be, another preposition in the Greek, en, E-N. I will be, future tense, in you. Jesus, look at verse 25. Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He comes back and says it again. Jesus really expects for us as believers to be pursuing, pursuing him. How? By his word. But you're not alone in doing that. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. That's why he's in you. In fact, look at this. It says, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The scripture says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. Look at verse 24 here. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you. But now look at this, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. There's the Trinity again. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So as you study the Bible and you go through the Gospels and you hear the words that Jesus said and you hear, study the Bible in the Old Testament and you're reading the inspired word of God, the Holy Spirit is bringing understanding. He's illuminating that word for you as a believer because he's in you for that purpose. If you're not saved, he's not in you. And it won't make sense. But to a believer, we have the Holy Spirit, the helper who lives in us. Look at John 15. You just go over to John chapter 15. Is this helping anybody this morning? I sure hope it is. I, I sure hope it is. He says, verse 1, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Who are the branches? You and I. Who is the vine? Jesus, who's the vine dresser? Who gardens the vine? God, the Father. And he says, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he, speaking of the Father, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You just thought that you ran into trouble because you made a bad decision. The reality is God's taken that bad decision and he's pruning you with it. And this is true now. Somebody told me this years ago. There is a place in, in, uh, in Italy, an area, where they have vines, they have grapes. And in this place, um, the whole, all the neighbors own vineyards. And they have a rule that all the people who own the vineyards have agreed to. Get this. You will not prune your own vineyard your neighbor will prune it and you'll prune somebody else's now why would they say that i'm gonna tell you why because if you and i are left to prune our own lives we won't prune deep enough isn't that true we're not going to go down to the to the nitty-gritty and get the get the stuff out that needs to come out we're not going to go deep enough 
that, that fresh fruit, fresh branches can come up. So in that, in that region, you prune your neighbors because you'll prune it a lot more than they will. That's good stuff. God the Father is wanting to prune you. Hey, consider it all joy, brethren, sisterin, when you fall into various trials, for the testing of your faith produces endurance. And when endurance has finished its work, it produces maturity, fruit. The deeper God has to cut in your life, the greater opportunity for fruit. But how does the fruit come? Because you live and you abide in Christ, in his word. And the Holy Spirit of God is the one who will do that for you. He will constantly, every day, remind you what Jesus said. If you do things wrong, if you're in business, you're a salesperson, and you kind of use some sales tactics that are less than ethical, I'm going to tell you right now, you'll go to bed that night, and the Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven, will wear you out. You'll go to bed with a guilty conscience. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Look, look, let's go further here. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, verse 6, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he himself didn't do. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The life of sanctification, pursuing Christ, as Paul talks about here, is that your life might be full of joy. It's the enemy who lies to you and makes you think, if I pursue God, if I walk with God, then it's going to be a boring life. It's just not true. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring to remembrance everything Christ said, to lead you into all truth. So you need, you need to understand who Jesus is by the word and what the word says about life. You need the Holy Spirit to open that up. And then thirdly, you need you. What is you all about? As the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth, we are called to abide in the truth. That means obey the truth. Again, you won't be perfect in it. You're already saved. You don't have to worry about that. But you're pursuing because you want to get every ounce of joy out of this life you can in Christ. And you want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than you do today. That's why you pursue. If we abide in truth, Christ abides in us by the Spirit, and we will experience a fullness of joy. So how do I live this life of sanctification? Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks of pursuing Christ like an athlete who's in a race, would pursue the finish line to get the prize. Paul likens it to that. To pursue sanctification is to pursue the joy-filled life. So what are the hindrances to pursuing the joy-filled life? What keeps me from pursuing? What keeps you from pursuing a life of sanctification? Well, he said it right here. Focusing on what lies behind you. Remembering your past, spending too much time thinking about your past. Now, how many of you think that what he's saying here, he's talking about past failures, past sins, that that stuff will hang you up if you keep a focus on it? Is that what Paul is saying? I always thought that's what it meant. I've come to realize that's not what it means. It's not talking about past failures. It's more talking about past successes. Put it in context. Paul was saying to all of those who are putting hope in their flesh, if anybody has a reason to put hope in the flesh, I do. I succeeded more than you. I did all these things. I succeeded. And Paul's saying now, all that stuff that I succeeded in, 
it amounts to nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, he uses the word, and it means dung. All the things I did amount to dung. Ugh. It doesn't matter. So very important here that we see. Paul had some successes with his heritage. He thought, man, I'm a pretty good Jew. In fact, I'm a Jew of Jews. Okay? But then later when he came to Christ, he, he was confronted. He said, I'm the chief of all sinners. Whole different attitude because God had revealed to him how his successes were really failures. You and I can hang on to past successes. You can go through life and think, man, I've developed you know, a pretty good reputation in town and people know me for who I am and I'm a man. You know, my, my word is my bond and people around town respect me for that and I've given to the church, and I go to church on Sundays, and blah, blah, blah. you got all that stuff going for you. And Paul says, every bit of that is dung compared to knowing Jesus. It doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't matter. If you focus on your past successes, that means you're not focused on what's in front of you. you got to lay the successes aside, the things that are good out of your life. You can't keep focusing on that stuff. It'll keep you from being in the moment. It'll keep you from what God has for you for the future. See, this is the problem in many churches. What we have are, we have all these places where we need people to serve. We, we, we always do. It'll always be that way. You know, we need people who help with the signage, just to set up the signs in the morning and take them down after the service. We need people to help in children's ministry. We need people to help with every ministry that we have in our church. We, we need people to serve. But see, you're looking at your past successes. Well, I, I served for 25 years in that. I, I paid my dues. It's a due? Like you were in prison, serving in prison? Paul says, if that's your attitude that you think you've accomplished already, that's dung. It's what you're doing now. It's what you're pursuing right now. Does that make sense, church? Verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, here he is, and straining forward to what lies ahead. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. Lay aside every weight. Now that is talking about past failures. And let us run with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's how you run forward. That's how you strain forward. I'm going to keep Christ in the forefront of my mind through this day. When I go to work, I don't lay Christ down and pick up my work life. Christ is the same no matter where I go. He is my life. No longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Every single day I remind myself of that. That's what it looks like to pursue. That's what it looks like to run this race so that we might win. By the way, the prize, you'll never get the prize on this earth. You're going to pursue all your days pushing forward for the prize. The prize is when you go to heaven. Amen? So don't get in your head that somehow you've arrived, you got the prize. You, there's no finish line to cross on this side of glory. you got to keep right on pressing. So what does that mean? I'm, I'm going to speak here. This will be tough on some of you. It, 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 you know, just letting you know. That means that if you're older, notice how careful I am with that. I didn't give ages. If you're older, you're still in the race until Christ calls you heaven, upwards toward heaven. You still got something to give. I was reminded of a woman, an elderly woman. Uh, ooh, I got to be careful. I'm not going to give her age. She was old. Okay? And she was blind. And she wanted a place to serve in her church. She wanted to keep pursuing and so she called the office and said, could you send me the directory of our church? I would like to have it transcribed into Braille. And every day, every day, with her fingers, she would read the name and the phone number. And she would dial the number and she would pray for people on the phone. 
I'm telling you right now, there is a place for you to serve. Every human being in this room. If you're saved, you weren't saved to sit. You were saved to serve. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. What way? That every day I'm pursuing Jesus. I want the joy-filled life that Jesus can offer me. You have to keep that focus on what lies ahead. Keep your head in the game. This is what makes the difference for those who win the battle and those who fail. You keep straining forward, pushing forward. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul's directive for the Philippian believers was to stay in, in line with God spiritually and keep progressing in sanctification by the same principles that had brought them to this point in their spiritual growth. Keep on going. Don't rest. If you rest, the enemy will send in false teachers and they will guide you astray. You keep pressing in to know more about Jesus. You keep pressing in to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to do a work in your heart, in your life. There's no, greater, there's no greater compliment that a Christian can have than when someone says, without you ever asking, it's not like you're working it to get some kind of, oh, don't, no, that's okay, you don't tell, that, tell me about that. No, the greatest thing for a Christian is to have somebody say, hey, I've been watching you. You're not the same person. You've been changing. That is the most awesome thought, that God is changing you without you even saying something. And people see it. Pursue. Keep going forward. That's what life is about in Christ. Father, today we thank you for your word. We took time in the beginning to talk about the gospel, to talk about what it means to be saved. There is no salvation apart from, uh, from repentant sin sinners confessing their sin before you. I pray that God, people in this room, those who are saved, those who are unsaved, for the unsaved, that they would come to believe the gospel, what Jesus did for them on the cross, and they would place their faith in him as their savior, that they would confess their sin, not holding back, and they would repent of their sin. They would turn and go a different direction. And I pray that, Lord, the believers in the room would now take it upon themselves like the Apostle Paul preached here to the church in Philippi, to pursue, to keep pressing towards sanctification, letting Christ be all that he desires to be in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God is good. God is good. We have elders and prayer partners who will come and stand across the front. If you need prayer for anything, and several of you spoke to me, feel free to come up. If you'd like to pray, maybe in behalf of Muffy or others, come up. They'll join you in prayer, okay? Uh, Helen, you'll lead that. Would you do that for us? Oh, wonder. Maureen's going to lead. If you want to pray for Muffy, come up here, and you can join in, and we'll be praying for Muffy, who's over in Europe, okay? And uh, God bless you, church. Make sure, make sure you love one another before you leave, and pray for one another, okay? God bless you. And pray for the church right now. Pray for our future. <laughs>